So we've been doing a series called No Longer Orphans. And today we're going to be speaking specifically about caring for orphans and outsiders. But we started the series with recognizing when we are orphans and outsiders. And then we um, talked about a spirit of adoption, what it means to receive a spirit of adoption. Today we're going to talk about caring for orphans and outsiders. And next week we're going to talk about being at home. So that's my favorite one because I love being at home and being at rest. I also love going all over the place, but it's always good to be able to come home and be at home. And um, we've been talking about three different giving opportunities. Uh, the Care Portal, the Pregnancy Resource Center, and Kelly Joe's Adoption Fund. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite her up, and we're actually going to hear from her some of her story and journey, because I think it can help equip us in our journey and in our um, um, journey to welcome people into the home, into the household of faith, and the family of believers. And so I think it's going to be a good learning experience from us. Today, I want to talk about three things about receiving and welcoming orphans and outsiders. Um, our posture when we welcome people, in other words, our demeanor or attitude, and then also preparation, preparing to receive people, and that's where Kelly Joe is going to come in. And then finally, plans. Um, what do we do with our plans? Because I bet Kelly Joe has a bunch of plans. I think we have plans in our head. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, how this all fits together when we receive one another. But I want to start with Luke 18. It might seem like a random scripture, but hold tight. It'll pull in. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's Luke 18. Now I want to tell a different story. I was listening to a story by an Australian pastor who works in the U.S. His name is Steve Cuss. I know, what a name for a pastor, right? <laughs> But he told a story about when he was studying in seminary a long time ago to be a pastor. He was in Tennessee. And this particular seminary required you um, to do 1,600 hours of pastoral clinical work before you could receive your degree. So clinical pastoral education. So he worked at the University of Tennessee a Hospital in Knoxville. So when he first started, he was just a young, young kid, brand new married. He started the day he got back from his honeymoon. So he just, he was on his honeymoon. He gets back. They give him, this is back when you had pagers and beepers and they give him like four different beepers. One was for like the, um, oh, I forgot the name of it. It's like code blue, 
like when people go into cardiac arrest, one was from something else and another for something else, but the fourth one was for the ER. And um, after one week, after just a couple weeks being in the ER, his heart would kind of panic whenever that beeper would go off. And he was someplace else in the hospital and he would have to make his way down to the hospital, to the ER. And on his way to the ER, he would start praying. He'd start praying, God, please don't let it be my wife. God, please don't be, let it be my wife. God, please don't let it be someone I know. Please don't let it be someone I know. Because all the way down, he's seeing people strapped to a gurney, their heads strapped down. He's seeing the, he's imagining this look of terror on their faces is now just in his head. And he doesn't want it to be his wife or someone he knows. So he would get down to the ER to help receive that person coming into ER. And as soon as he could assess that it wasn't his wife or someone he didn't know, then he'd start a new prayer. God, thank God it's not my wife. God, thank God it's not someone I know. God, thank God it's not my wife. God, thank God it's not someone I know. And after a couple of weeks of this, he heard the Holy Spirit give him a revelation you can't be a good chaplain if this is how you're praying. Because you can't be present with someone if you're celebrating that you're not them. Whoa. When he told me that story, I thought, wow. Or when I heard that story, he wasn't telling me the story. It hit me pretty profoundly. There's this thing about empathy. There's this thing about connecting with people and identifying with them, even, even when we are thankful, right? Even when we're thankful for our own lives. But there was something that God said, I want you to be present with this person right now. If we're going to be a community where we love one another and welcome people, all hands and feet, eyes and ears, Jews and Gentiles, people of different cultures and places. If we're going to be that here, we're going to have to take on the attitude that Christ Jesus had, right? And learn how to be fully present with one another, even if we're radically different from one another, even if we have different histories and cultures and backgrounds and experiences. We're going to have to learn how to be fully present with one another. Philippians um, 2, verse 8 or 6, we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus came to earth, surrendered to a plan to rescue humanity, establish his kingdom, set captives free, open blind eyes for orphans and outsiders alike. And how did he do it? He did it by humbling himself as a servant and becoming like us. Have you thought about that with the people you're trying to reach, the people you want to care for, orphans or outsiders? Have you thought of how can I become like them? How can I recognize their feelings? How can I 
put my, try and imagine myself in their shoes and try and connect with them. Do you want to see firsthand what God is doing? Do you want to see, be a part of how God is moving and the people he's connecting with? I do. I, I want to be in there. I want to be like, what are you doing, God? What's happening, Lord? Thank you, Karen. Karen just brought me extra tissues. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> it was a group effort. Wow, thank you, everyone. <laughs> First Peter 5.5 5 said, God's, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Psalm 34.18 says, God is near those who have a broken heart. And we know from Luke 4.18 that Jesus' message Jesus's purpose, his life purpose is to bring good news to the poor, heal brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives and sight for the blind. Those are the people God is near. That's where stuff is happening. That's where God is doing things. That's where God is at, is with them. And so how can we get with them? How can we be with them? That's what I want to do because I want to be, I want to be where God is. I want to be with what God is doing. So when we humble ourselves and draw near to others, here's what's happened. We're going to be transformed first, right? Because when we first start connecting with people who are different than us, our fears and our anxieties are revealed. That's what happened to that chaplain in the ER, when he was ministering to people, his root fears and his anxieties were exposed and his things that he hadn't settled in trust with God. You know, those things he needed to be like, God's going to take care of, you know, my wife and the people I love. God's got this. So first, our fears and anxieties are revealed and things that need to be exposed in our life and get in the way of us being present with others, those things get exposed and we get to deal with them. But then we get to behold, we get to have a new revelation of the wonder of God as we get to have a front row seat and what God is doing in people's lives. That's what I want. I want a front row seat to what he does in people's lives. I remember Sharon, she, she just spent hours and hours and hours working with people in deliverance. And I'd always be like, how can you do that? Thank God I'm not Sharon. No, I'm just kidding. But just so many hours praying and praying and praying with people. It's so beautiful. But she was also just like, it brings me so much joy to see people set free. It brings me so much joy to see people have breakthrough. So first and foremost, we want to take a posture of humility with people, identifying with them, being present with them. The second thing we got to do to welcome people into the family of believers and the household of God is we have to prepare. We actually have to prepare. We actually have to, there's stuff to do to get ready for people. And that's where I'm going to ask Kelly Joe to come on up and join me. Uh, Kelly Joe, um, if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, last week we had a picture of a puzzle. I should have brought it again, but I didn't. Um, we had a picture of a puzzle. 
that shows all the people that have given to Kelly Joe's adoption fund. And she's slowly, when, when you give or help Kelly Joe in some way with this process, um, she puts, she puts um, a piece of the puzzle together. And, as, and it, as it comes to completion, we're praying for this, this child to arrive. And oh yeah, she needs a microphone. Thanks, Kelly Joe. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have it for you. But um, she's been preparing. And so I asked her, I said, what has been required of you in the preparation process? And I want you to imagine as she's speaking, what might be required of you to receive orphans and outsiders and people who need to be welcomed into the kingdom? Yeah, um, thank you. Um, I do appreciate having the chance to share today. Um, so I have five points and I'm gonna go very quickly so that we can all go to lunch, right? <laughs> Birthday lunch, Jerry Red or Jerry Bud, right? Um, the first thing, and I feel like probably the most necessary thing was that I be vulnerable. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, I'm gonna go over some of the um, paperwork that was required. Um, it is almost two years to the day when I got the notification that all God's children said, yes, you are, you are approved to continue the process to adopt. Um, which if I were to birth a child, there's a somewhat definite time frame. I mean, we wouldn't be Nine pregnant for months. two years, right? Um, so unless you're an elephant, that's true. Um, so there's, there's processes all along the way. And at any point in the process, um, they can say you're not enough and say, hey, nope, find another way to find a family. Um, just for those of you who don't know, um, some countries require that you have $80,000 in savings before you can even apply for adoption in their country. Some countries have weight limits on the adoptive parent. Each country is very specific on what they are looking for for um, adoptive parents. So it's not just like, oh, you want to be, uh, you want to adopt children? Sure. It, it is a process. And at any point, they can say, no, thank you. So uh, to be vulnerable, um, that is one. I had to send in six months of bank statements with my dossier. Oh, and my process now is all this paperwork is now with Johanna Ber jo Joburg Child Welfare. And they are looking at this paperwork and then looking at the waiting children and then trying to find the best match for the children and myself. So that's where my paperwork is now. And it's been there since August of last year. Um, so it's, we're, I'm just waiting to get a phone call any day to say, hey, do you want these kids? Um, so the six months of financial paperwork, background checks in any state or country that I have spent more than three consecutive weeks. And for those of you who know me, know I love to travel. So that in itself, and each of these, by the way, is like, oh, $200 fee here, $200 fee there, no big deal. Um, 11 letters of references from friends, coworkers, um, pastors, neighbors, um, my complete medical history. I had to have my home evaluated to make sure it was safe and that there was room for these children. And um, my favorite part was the education on um, raising children that come from a hard place. Um, there is tons of documentation about what happens to children when they've been traumatized, either by abandonment, sexual abuse, um, verbal abuse. And you, when you bring somebody in from a hard place, especially if you have not 
experienced those traumas in your life, you have to know how to speak their language and what not to say and what not to do. Um, obviously, you cannot spank a child who has been abused. You can't even time out. You can't take stuff away because they have literally already been abandoned more than once in their life. So the last thing a small child who's been abandoned needs to be sent away from the person that they're told is going to love them. Um, so it's a whole new, I've, I mean, I don't have biological children myself, so, but watching my friends and family, it's a whole way of parenting that is not what we're used to. And so you have to know um, how to do that and to keep perspective. And for the well-being of my children, I can't get distracted by the here and now. I can't get distracted by the tantrum in the store because just I may have a reason for why they're doing it, but more than likely it is not the reason that I think. They have their own truth and their own perspective that is not the same as mine. So I have to always be asking myself, what's the real reason this is happening? Um, I have to come up with a plan to arrange care while I'm at work. And how am I gonna get them to school as a single parent? Um, arrange care for if I pass away that all this has to be documented before they can even consider me to be matched with the child. And the actual cost, um, I've, a rough estimate is $38,000. I think I'm already in at 20 grand um, and they're not even here yet. I don't have plane tickets. I don't, I have to stay in Joburg for three to three weeks to eight weeks. And all of that is just money that is required to bring these children home and the airfare. Um, one of the hardest parts of the process was the choosing. Um, unlike when you birth a child, you don't get to pick their gender, you don't get to pick their, their race, you don't get to pick their age, their ailments. Um, and I had to fill out a paper that was two columns on each page, two pages of HIV, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, um, Down syndrome, autism, missing an arm, missing two arms, missing all limbs. Do I want to adopt a terminally ill child? And I had to mark yes or no. Um, and I had to be very honest with myself at that point because as a single caregiver, am I, am I the best equipped to care for that person in this situation? And sometimes that means saying no, which is very hard because if I were to birth a child with any of those ailments, I wouldn't give them back, but I got to choose. So that is definitely, you need to have some hard talks with yourself <laughs> and be honest about that. Um, and then I have post follow-up adoption or with my caseworker. She comes to the house five times after the children are home at one month, six months, one year, two years, and five years to meet with the children, to make sure they're being cared for. And all of that costs, I think those visits are like $400 a visit. So it adds up a lot. Um, not to mention the hours of paperwork and the community, which is my favorite part. Because um, obviously I am a single woman. So if I get boys who are black, I, there are just certain aspects I cannot relate to them. I have never been a small boy growing up. So I need to purposely surround myself with people that have what I don't have. And you have to be diligent about finding that because you want them to be good examples too in the areas that you um, just can't, you don't, I don't have that. So um, the second one um, area was I, in the education, they talk a lot about my attachment. What was my upbringing? 
And for those of you who know me know I love my parents dearly, but I had to look very closely at their shortcomings in my upbringing and my interpretation of that. And um, because I can only give what I have. So if what I have is damaged and broken, when I get in a tight spot, that is just going to spew out on my children. And so you have to be willing to look at yourself to say, am I whole? Am I in a healthy place to care for these children? Which was very difficult. No, I don't know anybody who wants to, hey, I'm not happy, I'm not healthy. Um, but the good news is, is that Jesus can love us to healthiness mm -hmm. and love us to a healthy place so that what we have to give other people is healthy. Um, the third area is the answering all the questions to strangers and friends. The two top two on my list are, I am 44 today, single, starting a family. Um, I can tell you when I was uh, 13, 14 in high school, I, I always thought I would get married. I would birth my own children, and that is how I would have a family. Um, but here we are, life choices, and um, we can only be where we're at, so it's never too late. In some countries, some countries do have an age limit, by the way, on how old you can be to adopt. Um, and then it's definitely outside the norm. So, so many people are like, oh man, like you're 44, like you're finally at a, a place where like you can just, you know, you're almost going to retire and blah, blah, blah. And I just have to come to peace with the fact that I'm not doing my life like everyone else is, and that's okay. And then the second one is why South Africa and not the U.S. Um, and there is an estimated 153 million children that are classified as orphans worldwide. And I feel confident to say that they don't care where I live. They just want a family. And so um, several years ago when Rose came and talked about SA Cares for Life, God planted a seed for South Africa in my heart. And in 2015, um, I went and visited and God just watered that seed. So. There's other reasons too, um, but the most thing is that I want my children to know, um, I want them to be able to go back. I want to be willing to go back and I will always go back to South Africa because it's a great place to visit. So, And then the fourth one is, um, what is my why? Um, it's part of the application process. Why do you want to adopt? People ask all the time. Why don't you just have kids naturally? Um, I'll tell you right now, it would be a lot funner than doing paperwork and a lot quicker but, um, but I do, I do want to be a mom and I can say with confidence that orphans want a family. And so adoption is a way for God to meet that need for both of us. Um, and God does call us to look after the orphans. And I will tell you right now that that reason alone is not enough to do it. Um, I need God to show me his why. And I need to be open to learn how to love people a different way than I may be used to. Um, and I need to be able to see my children through his eyes. And I am telling you right here today, I am not, I cannot, and I do not want to be the hero in my children's life. That is a place only Jesus can fill. But I can be his arms to hug them when they're scared, be the voice that tells them they belong, I can be a safe place for them to grow up, and I can be willing to do it a different way than I've been doing it for their sake. Um, and then, yeah, 
just I like I for those of you that know like it may I've been accused of having rose colored glasses like I just live in this la la land that everything's going to work out great and I don't have a care in the world. Um, our family has first experience with adoption and we would be the first ones to tell you it is not an easy road. I am fully prepared. Well, expecting things not to go because it's children. I mean, how many parents out there were like, hey, uh, my kids, everything went exactly as I planned. There was no problems, no upsets. Everyone was rational. Nobody, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I'm aware, but I'm choosing to focus on the positive and putting all the tools I can get in my tool belt so that in that moment of frustration, I am just praying that the Holy Spirit would be like, bring to my remembrance, oh, try this. Oh, try this. Um, so that's that. And then the other thing is just the prayer needs. Um, Sarah was talking about just, I mean, there's an incubation period when I bring them home that they encourage you to stay in your home with the children without anybody else for three to six months. That terrifies me to my core. That is so far out of my personality and my family's way of doing life. Um, so I just ask for your prayer that I will be willing to do what is best for my children so that they can form that attachment as well and feel safe and loved. And then um, also just that God's hand would be in the match that I would be what they need and I, they would be what I need and can handle. And just for the patients, I mean, we're in this two years now and um, not a very patient person. So this is definitely a stretch. And that's it. Okay, I'm <laughs> writing down those prayer requests. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And um, you know what? Let's just pray right now. Let's pray for Kelly Joe. Yeah, I love that. Everybody's got their hands up. Would we pray for Kelly Joe, God? We thank you that you are preparing her to care for one of your little ones who needs a home. God, we thank you that you place people in families. You place the lonely in families. You place people in the body as you see fit. And we know there's a child out there, 153 million orphans, God. We know there's one that Kelly Jo can care for and who can be at home with her and with the community that you're putting around her. God, we pray right now protection over that little one. We just pray you're covering over that little one that um, they would that your Holy Spirit would be with them even as they experience uh, longing or need or trauma or whatever it is that they would that you would be with that child right now in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for Kelly Jo. Thank you that she can go through that incubation period that they that is required. Thank you that she can change and that she can grow through discomfort. Um, through the demands that this is going to take on her. Thank you, God, that you are Jaira. You are our provider, that you're going to provide for her. Thank you, God, that she recognizes her limits, what she can and can't do. And yet in her weakness, she comes to you and you're going to be strong. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. We just bless her. We support her in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just going to say one area too is, um, like, I, I definitely don't believe it's God's plan that parents abandon their children. So my prayer, too, is also for if their parents are still alive, 
that God would meet them in their need. Cause I, I can't imagine having to be being faced with that choice. Um, so that's just an area of prayer too, is cause they're in Africa. Sometimes they have no choice. If they keep their children, they can't feed them. And I just pray for the parents that are put in that choice and make that choice for the better of their children, that God would be sovereign in their life and, and heal those needs as well. Amen. Yeah, it's complicated. It's hard. And that's the same for us caring for people and loving one another, welcoming people. It's it can be complicated. There's this simple gospel. There's a simple gospel of God's love coming in, but we can be complicated and caring for one another can be complicated, but we can press through that and love one another and trust in God to help us do that. Some of the things she talked about was um, just preparing her home, her finances, um, learning how to care for people in different ways, the vulnerability that she's gone through, the things that she that have to change in her life. These are things that happen to us when we care for people who come to us, who come into the household of faith. And we need to be prepared as well. That we, there are things with our finances, with our homes, in our lives, with our experiences, our histories, that God wants to change. But we know Jesus has called us to be a place where we carry each other's burdens, love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, uh, Corky read that 1 Corinthians 12 passage. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we share that same spirit. It's hard but it's beautiful. The body, the Jesus died so we could be one, so we could work, could, so we could become one, even with kids from different backgrounds, with different histories. And because of this, even as people come in here into our church family, um, we have to be prepared to change, to pivot, to transition like Kelly Joe is. One of the things she told me earlier is, I have to know that I'm making a plan with complete knowledge that'll have to change depending on my child's needs. So we can have all these parenting strategies. We can have all of these welcoming strategies. We can have all of these healing strategies, but we have to be prepared that it's gonna totally change depending on who God brings us and how God wants to change us, and who God wants to fit into the body, into our body. Are we ready for that? I was thinking about Proverbs 16, 9, when she mentioned that passage, or when she mentioned that thing about the unknowns ahead of her. She said, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Sometimes for healing of people who come to us and for our own selves, we're like, okay, Lord, just bring your healing. Let the people come. Let there be miracles, signs and wonders. Come on, let's, let's get to it, Lord. 
And sometimes God does that. I think of Matthew 8, where the centurion, there's this man of authority, this Roman centurion. He knows what it means to say a word and it happens. And he comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I need help. You got to save my servant. They're, they're sick. They're having seizures. And the centurion says to Jesus, just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus does. He says the word and the servant is healed. And it's amazing. But there's another time where God heals someone. And it's just a little different. It's from Mark 8. Some people, it says the disciples and Jesus, they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. So notice here for a minute, all the process that happens. Jesus comes to this town. The people in the town bring a blind man. The people beg Jesus to heal, to touch him. Just touch him, Lord. So then Jesus takes the blind man by the hand. And then Jesus takes the blind man outside of the village I don't know why. We don't know why. There's so many unknowns in this passage. Like, why is Jesus doing that? Why doesn't he just say the word? Why? He just touched him and he didn't get healed. What's going on here, Jesus? Then they're outside the village. Jesus spits on the man's eyes and puts his hands on him again. And Jesus asks, do you see anything? So there's a question, there's a dialogue between Jesus and the man outside the village. And then the man looks up and says, I see people and they look like trees walking around. Well, Jesus, what's wrong with you, Jesus? What happened to your healing powers today? <laughs> Why only the partial healing, Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. But once more, Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes are open, and his sight is restored, and he sees everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. It's such a tactile process. There's so much touching and spitting and hands and eyes and just all this stuff happening. It's a complicated process, a drawn out process. And then there's another time where um, I want to go to 2 Corinthians 12, 8, where Paul, Paul, the apostle, the leader of the early church, he has this thing that he calls a thorn in his flesh. And, and people don't know if it was physical. People don't know if it was something spiritual. Commentators, everybody likes to know, what was the thorn in Saul's flesh? Was it a sin thing? Was it, I don't know. Nobody knows. What was that thorn in his flesh? But he didn't get delivered of it. Three times, says Paul, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, says Paul, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes our journey includes insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles. I think there are going to be times in Kelly Joe's parenting life when that kid gets healed like that, other times, 
there's going to be this long process of taking the kid out the door, down the hall, touching them, hugging them, talking to them. Hopefully she doesn't spit in their eyes. <laughs> but, there, but we just don't know what that's going to look like. And then other times there's just going to be stuff that this kid might have to deal with for the rest of their life. We don't know. And we're going to talk more about that next week when we talk about being at home. With their space for all of this in the family of God, all this different type of healing. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Um, we're going to finish with a song. Um, but as we close today, I want to pray. I want to pray that we'll be encouraged to prepare for orphans and outsiders. Some of us, it might just be welcoming someone at the front door or, or serving in children's church and receiving a little one who might be cantankerous or who might be the funnest kid on the planet. For some of us, it could be um, praying with someone during the week or inviting someone to our home. It could be taking someone out to coffee in your office who might feel alone and like they don't fit. It might be your neighbor next door who speaks a different language. It might be someone younger than you or someone older than you that God wants you to touch and talk to and welcome and receive. And I pray today that we'll be a people of humility in our posture and motivation. I pray that we'll submit our plans to the Lord for what the relationship will look like and what the outcomes will be. And I pray that we'll have faith for God to complete his perfect work. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says we live by faith and not by sight. Kelly Jo has this driving faith that God has called her to do this. And so she's just taken one day at a time praying for those kids. Can we be people that do that, that we walk by faith? So um, you can go ahead and start some music, but I just want to pray Let's close with prayer. Do you all want to stand, please? Lord Jesus, we just come to you. I ask that you prepare us to receive. Prepare us, give us a heart to identify with others, to be present with others. If they're coming into the ER, if they're coming in from a place, a hard place, a hard childhood place, if they're coming in looking like a Greek or a Jew or a Gentile or an ear or an arm in the body of Christ, Lord, help us receive in humility and be present with the people you're bringing us. Lord, help our hearts as we prepare for that. Prepare us, God. We're okay if you mess with our finances. We're okay if you mess with our plans. We're okay if, if you ask us to explore our backgrounds and our histories so we can be better prepared. Help us, Lord. And I also pray today for people who are dealing with depression and suicide and anxiety. And we just declare right now that you belong. We say it's a lie of the enemy, that your day has no value, that your life has no purpose, that the things around you are greater than what God has put in you. 
we just say, we put that lie under our feet. And we, we just say that for you. We say, we put that lie under your feet. And put your trust in Jesus today. Lord, and I pray that you'd help people come to healing. I, I pray that for some, you would say the word and they would be healed. And for those that you have in process, we say, don't give up. Don't give up. Even if you can see the people walking and they look like trees, don't give up. You're on your way to a healing. And for those of you who've been struggling with depression a long time, we say, God's grace is sufficient for you. Don't give up. He's great in your weaknesses. Don't give up. He's with you and he's going to be strong in your life. So we just pray, God, for breakthrough for people and transformation, God. In Jesus' name, amen.